So for the last six weeks, we've been in a message series called Kingdom Manifesto. And what it is, is it's a study of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're, we're about halfway through right now. Um, 18 months ago, we did a message series called the Beatitudes, which was actually the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is Jesus' first public message that he shares. Uh, I, I can only imagine the nerves that the Son of God would have speaking publicly for the first time. But no, this is his, his message that he shares that really lines out and lays out what it looks like to be a follower of him. What it looks like to be a, a citizen of the kingdom of God and a disciple of Jesus. Uh, it's so early on in his message right here that he doesn't even have all 12 of his disciples present while he's teaching this message. He's got four out of his 12. So, so it's like there's a lot of people that are potential disciples, and then there are a few that have, have committed their life and said, I'm going to follow him. And like I just shared, we learned in Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus instructs people to do good works, to do good deeds, and like let our light, or let our good work shine for others to see. That's in verse 16 of chapter 5. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and that they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And what we felt and what we've realized is in chapter 6, Jesus kind of turns the page a little bit and, and needles in a little bit, not just to good works, but gets into like the motive of good works. Why are you doing what you're doing? Verse 1 is an umbrella for verses 1 through 18. And what he says is, is this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. We're like, hold on. A few verses ago, bless you. That was an incredible sneeze. That was an incredible sneeze. Sorry. So he says, he says, beware of practicing your works before others. But he just said, do good works in front of others. He says, but beware of practicing right, practicing righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. He says this. He says, for then you will have no reward from your Father, who's in heaven. Basically. What he's saying is this, do good things for people to see, but give credit to God. He's not saying, don't do good things. He's not saying, only do good things if people are watching. He's saying, when you do good works and people see, glorify the Father. Say, and this is from God. This is, God did this, or deflect glory to him. And he's really getting into the motive of why we do what we do. And the only way that we know or can even examine our motives or see if our motives are pure is to go to something that is pure. A lot of times we try to examine or measure purity in comparison with someone else's purity. And we measure on a human playing scale. But when we put things before Almighty, before that which is pure by definition, we begin to see that without Christ, nothing that we do is pure even our motives. So we've got to continually put our motives before and say, God, would you continue to search my heart? See if there's anything that's displeasing to you. And today, we're going to talk around this topic of a heart of devotion, of a devotive life. When you really think about it, all of us are devoted to something. And, you know, sometimes we, we think the word devotion belongs singularly to, to Christianity, but all of us are devoted or committed to something. But Jesus is going to begin to talk about a pretty specific aspect of devotion 
of a, a Christian or a disciple's life, and it's this word fasting. Fasting 15 years ago would have been something that even when we would have shared in this room, it might have been a new concept for a lot of people because fasting is, is something that we really haven't heard of. But the truth is today, fasting is a very common word, and it's not used just for Christianity. I mean, it's one of the most popular diets right now is intermittent fasting. It's eat at a certain time of day, deny yourself food at a certain time of day, and the benefit will be uh, health or weight loss. And a lot of other um, religions and world religions, especially in the East, uh, not like the East Coast, but the, <laughs> over, you're like, oh, like New Jersey? No, I just... I just met a guy in New Jersey. He's up in our Next Steps class. This is his first Sunday. He says, man, this is good. This is good. But in the East, there's a lot of practicing like mysticism, um, but a lot of like um, fasting and denial of self. But Jesus is going to speak specifically to what fasting looks like in the life of a believer. Just for understanding sakes, this is what fasting is. is Fasting is a spiritual practice, and the type of fasting we're going to talk about, it's a spiritual practice, and what it is is it's abstaining from food. It's, it's denying yourself food, and instead of eating at that time or prepping at that time, devoting that time to proximity or drawing closer to God through like prayer, through worship, through meditating on the word of God. And what it essentially is doing is it's denying fleshly desires and it's feeding your spiritual appetite. Andrew Murray said this. You can see this on the screens with me. He says this. He says, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Now, what today is going to be and what today is not going to be. I'll start with what it's not going to be. I'm not going to give you a lot of practices on how to fast. Like, what's the difference? I'm not calling you to a fast either. Some of you are like, yes. You're like, I really wanted to avoid this week of the message because uh, it's almost lunchtime already. You know what I mean? Because we're not going to go there because Jesus doesn't actually go there. He's going to go back to the heart yet again. He's going to talk about why this is important and the right way to do it versus how to do it. We do not want to be practicing Christians that put the cart before the horse. So Jesus goes on by saying this. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you've heard and seen this word hypocrites a few times. Hypocrites, the Greek word, is literally the same word as actor. The people that you would pay to watch perform. Jesus is saying, don't be like the actors when it comes to fasting. We learned a couple weeks ago when it was around the topic of generosity, there were these hypocrites or these actors that made a big show out of their generosity. And they would hire bands and parade around before. They would hire musicians to play the trumpet before they would give their gift to get everyone's attention so that they could be seen by others. Some of them would have so much change or coins, they would throw it into the offering bucket and it would make a bunch of noise. And people knew when it made a bunch of noise, it was a big gift. And people would be like, oh, ooh. 
Look at that person. Last week we talked about prayer. And what the hypocrites would do or the people that Jesus was saying, don't be like. He would say, hey, don't be like the hypocrites that walk to a specific spot on the street where there's a big crowd at a certain time of day, like the lunch hour when everyone's there, and perfectly articulate and pronounce and be this perfect prayer so people go, wow, that person can pray. Wow. Like, that's the goal is to get the person that goes uh, on social media, like, or, or just the attention. Jesus says, don't be like that. And now he's talking about that with fasting. Some commentaries would suggest that people that were practicing fasting would hire makeup artists to make themselves look a little bit more pale, a little bit more gloomy, rub a little dirt on the face. Like, let people see that you're suffering. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, like, and you know how it is when you walk in and people are like, man, are you okay? You don't look so good. They were, that's what they wanted. And what do you say? Like, you walk in and, you, I mean, you're, you're limping a little because you're, you're feeble, you haven't eaten. Like, you're, it's, it's just, you're suffering for Christ, right? And then that person's like, wow, are you okay? Say, I've been fasting. Been fasting for six hours. <laughs> and people would be like, wow, I can't do that. That's incredible that you are, you are not doing that. You're surrendering yourself to God. You're doing this. And they're like, I am. <laughs> I am. Everything starts pure. And I really believe that the hypocrites, we all can be hypocrites, just so you know, and things can start purely. But when we let them run in and of ourselves, and we don't stay anchored, we don't stay devoted to that which we are pursuing through fast, even a righteous act can become unrighteous. And this is what's going on here. It started as a sign of humility and it progressed into self-righteousness. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Here's the deal. When we fast, we are denying ourselves of, of our fleshly or even sinful appetites. And we gain, we gain strength over them. In Galatians 5, we're actually instructed to do these types of things. He says, and those who belong to Christ, those who have surrendered their life to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desires. Sometimes I read verses like this and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll put to death, I'll crucify the flesh and the passions and desires, but we're just talking about food. That's not sin. I mean, like, come on, let's be honest here. We're talking about food. Why is this so important? I think what Jesus is doing, he's, he's leading his followers to a life of devotion to God versus fleshly desires. And sometimes devotion to God costs you some of your fleshly desires. That's what fasting is. So Jesus talks about fasting now. And he says he's just taught us what not to do. Don't be like the hypocrites. 
don't, don't hire the makeup artist to make you look really, really bad and gloomy and that kind of thing. He's saying, but when you fast, this is verse 17. Again, the instruction, even if we don't like it, it says when you fast, not if you do, but in those moments that you feel like God is leading you to fast or you're seeking breakthrough in areas or those types of things. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. <laughs> Clean up. Clean up. I applaud those of you that you show up and you're wore out. You're wore out and nobody knows it. I think this is kind of what he's saying here. He's like, hey, show up. Wash your face, splash a little water on your face, drink some coffee, open your eyes, you know, those kinds of things. Or maybe that's why you come to the later service, because that kind of naturally takes place a little bit. But no, he's saying, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Will reward you or reward has been mentioned now the two times in the last three verses. One was talking about a reward that you really don't want. It's the applause of men. And he's saying that there's another reward that signifies the approval of God. Again, the last three weeks we've now heard or seen this word reward from your Father in heaven. In the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 12, it said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. For they will be rewarded by my Father who is in heaven. So this word reward indicates or tells us that people who practice righteous works, good works, with pure motives, will receive some sort of reward. What's the reward? The heavenly rewards. Um, we see there are heavenly rewards. Not 100% sure what they are. We see that there are rewards that are heavenly, and amazingly, he just said, hey, don't live, and you'll even see here in a few verses, he says, don't live for earthly treasures, but like live with this seeking an eternal, heavenly reward. Revelation teaches us that there are some sort of crowns and jewels and crowns that are reserved for certain people. Um, but I can't tell you exactly what the rewards are, but we do know that there are some sort of eternal rewards attached to righteous works, but then there are some rewards that are for today. Some people have contorted and manipulated this verse and said this is, this is actually where a lot of prosperity gospel teaching has been birthed out of. Is that if you do this, God will give you this. And if you do this just the right way, just enough times, God will give you possessions. I, I cannot tell you that because I cannot believe that to be true. I just don't see it in the scriptures. He could, but that's not the reward. The reward is this, closeness to God. When you deny yourself, you're denying your own desires, you are surrendering your desires and craving something different. And a closeness to God does something supernatural in a human's life. Have you ever been in those moments where you just, you know, we use words like God is close. Like it's just nearly tangible. It's actually not that God is closer. That would go against his characteristic, his character traits. God is omnipresent. He's always close. 
But when you deny your flesh, what it is is it makes you aware just how close God is. And when you realize just how close God is, it changes the very way that you live. What are other heavenly rewards? What are other rewards that are reserved for us as followers of Jesus? The fruit of the Spirit? That's a reward. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Peace? I'm not talking about peace that's subject to your surrounding environments. I'm talking about peace anchored deep within your soul. Like although the waves come and the storms brew, there's a peace that will not let you be moved. That's a reward. Joy, again, not contingent on economies, not contingent on gas prices, not contingent on anything like that. Joy that's deep-seated because what you live for and who lives in you has changed your very life. Gentleness. Just go study the fruit of the Spirit. These are some of the rewards that we see are attached to those that live a devoted life to Christ. God giving us these rewards are absolutely good for us. But all of these rewards that God gives us point back to him. And we get the opportunity that when we receive these rewards, we can glorify the God in, God in heaven that says, God, even though everything around me is in turmoil, I've got peace. God, thank you. His rewards are for our good, but they are absolutely for his glory. Jesus is going to continue this message. And I think the way that this thing, some people read the Sermon on the Mount and almost read it like it's eclectic and it bounces all over the place and it's almost like schizophrenic in nature. But I think when we read it, realizing he's speaking to the heart of the matter and then we get into verse 19, we see that he's positioned our hearts so that we can deal with something that's very close to our hearts. And it's this word, treasure. Verse 19 says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember, he has just prefaced this thought by saying there are rewards in heaven. I'll reward you in heaven, he says, so don't lay up treasures on earth. Why? And he begins to speak just how quick this life, this earth actually is. I'm amazed at how fast life moves, how quick time flies. They say time flies when you're having fun, but I'm learning time just flies. Somebody told me once, days are long, but years are short. And Jesus is saying, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth because this is where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure, just out of curiosity, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word treasure? What's the mental picture? Somebody just yell it out. Me too, treasure chests. I'm like, honestly, is that what you said? I don't know what you said. Say it louder. Your friends? You're much more mature than me. 
There's one more page of notes if you want them. <laughs> I always pictured a chest with gold coins, and I'm like, I'm not living for that. But treasure in this word really begins to speak to something that the vast majority of us treasure. Treasure I could define as your desire. What do you desire? What do you value highly? What do you pursue? And Jesus is saying, don't lay up for yourselves your desires here on earth. He says, let's go higher. And I believe the vast majority of people, if we allowed the Lord to scan in close, treasure would be money. Money is very strange. Some people say that money makes the world go round. Money controls nearly everything on this earthly playing field. People make decisions based on money. Money is, for many, treasure. And this is usually the point in this message where it almost becomes an attack on people that have money. And I don't believe that that's what Jesus did here. Because some people say, well, what's, what's the real desire for money, for treasure? Why is that actually a desire? And some would pay, say, for people that have money, it's because they want to control things. So we need to take all the money and we need to neutralize all the money. And I, I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying right here. Because there's a desire for money in both rich and poor. What's the root? What's the fundamental element that makes that desire so strong? I believe it's because people actually want not control but security. Security. Now, this is a different conversation. Why is it that some of us sleep better with a certain amount of money in the bank versus other times? Whatever that number is for you. Now I'm meddling, of course. But you see that one number on your online banking. And you're like, we're okay. Or you see it below that number. We're not okay. We're not okay. I'm not going to be able to sleep. Are we going to be able to eat? You know, it starts to go back and forth. I think it's really anchored in security. And Jesus is saying, don't lay up for yourself your security here on earth. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about God providing all of our needs this is different. This is talking about treasure, your desires. Oftentimes, this comes down to the heart yet again. Because we, I think our desires determine our direction, our focus. And now Jesus is going to continue his notes right after talking about treasures, and he's going to begin to talk about what you're focused on. He's going to talk about 
the eye of the heart. He says this in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Freeze right there. What does a lamp do? It illuminates the path. It illuminates areas that are dark. It shows a lamp says this is where I'm going. People don't carry a lamp and go a different direction. The lamp illuminates the next steps. And he's saying the eye is the lamp. What I am focused on is going to determine my next steps, is going to determine the direction of my life. And it's not just talking about my physical life. It's talking about my treasured life. In farming and just with horses, you put blinders on horses. And you put blinders on horses for one reason, so they focus, so you control their eyes. And all of us, whether we know it or not, have blinders on, and we have something we are desiring, that we are treasuring, that we are focused on. And verse 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. He says, so if your eye is healthy, he says, if your, your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What is a healthy eye? It's one, it's one who's focused on that which is healthy. It's one who is focused on that which is pure. It's one who is focused on that which is right. It's an eye that's focused on heaven, on God. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eye is focused on the wrong treasure, what is it going to do? It says it's not going to be good for you. If you're stingy versus generous, if you have the improper motives, improper perspective, it's a bad eye. We have to have something that changes our eyes. This is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing is that none of us have good eyes apart from Christ. Some of you naturally have good eyes. You don't need glasses. But for this scenario, all of us have bad eyes. If you got glasses, take them off right now. You guys are getting a way better service than the first one. It's rough. Like, all I see right now is colors. <laughs> Just going to be honest. I don't trust myself right now. That's why I'm anchored to the pulpit. <laughs> but y'all, you'll get nervous for me when I start walking. Hand on the pulpit, that's smart. I know where the stage is. I know where it ends. But I don't know, no. I've convinced myself that I can walk around my house without glasses at night. Six broken toes later, I've realized that's not a fabrication. <laughs> that's true. There's been a couple times recently that I've just done it, and I knew it, and I said, I broke another one. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> you're laughing because you're nervous for me, but we think we can do it spiritually. All of us have bad eyes, guys. 
And this is why at the end of it, which is sometimes confusing to read the very last sentence of this, he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you believe that this is clear, oh, how great is the darkness. You're in a world of trouble. Y'all, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Without this, we can't make it. We all have bad eyes. What's the song? I can see clearly now. This is why Jesus, and we'll end with this verse, verse 24. He says, nobody can serve two masters. Too often we're trying to live this and that. We're trying to live a life like this. It's hypocrisy. And Jesus is calling us to a life of devotion. Some of the greatest leadership quotes have come out of that phrase right there. No one can serve two masters. I still believe Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. You guys remember these inspirational nature pictures that used to be? It would have like one word and like some picture of an eagle or something like that, and it would have a phrase under that. One that I think my dad had was a picture of a rabbit, and it said something to the effect of, if you chase two rabbits, you'll lose both of them. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can only serve one thing in your life, and that is what you are devoted to. So today the prayer is actually really simple. It's a part of a verse that says, choose this day whom you'll serve. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? God, would you speak to us? God, would you reveal to us on the topic of devotion. So God, for those of us in this room that today we admit that our vision's been a little blurry. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, the areas of life that we have been devoted to the wrong thing, that we've desired anything other than you, God. We, we repent, we say that we're sorry for that. For some of us, it's like the light bulb just went off. We've got, we've got bad eyesight, bad focus, but we've never focused on that which gives us pure focus. That's Christ. But today, something in us is telling us that that is what life is really all about. I would encourage you, if that's you, just to, in your own way, surrender. To say, hey, God, I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the one that made all things right. That paid the price so that I could be right. I surrender to that. All of us today choose a life of devotion.
in Jesus' name. Amen.